Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast. I'm Brenda, your host, and I am so excited that you guys are back. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. It's great to have you here. There's going to be a lot of really great information coming out for you. Cannot wait for you all to be able to jump in and, and get to the good stuff. And if you folks are coming back time and time again, thank you so much. I just think it's absolutely fabulous that you continue on doing this, and I really cannot, cannot tell you how grateful I am for you guys being here on a regular basis, listening in. Uh, it's just completely awesome, and I love to see. I love to see the fact that you guys are coming back. So, thank you so much. Um, I am here to share with you the what and how in human resources, and I'm in the human business. That means that. There's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. And most importantly, today we're going to be talking about, we've got employment poster updates. Um, we're going to uh, share with you some employment law changes across the nation. And I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these very articles that I'm calling out. Um, also, main topic today is pretty cool. Um, I was really excited when this gentleman reached out to me. And I'm excited to have him on board. His name is Stephen Watson, Steve Watson. And we're going to be talking about a CFO's big money-saving tips on your benefit plan. So right from a guy who loves to solve the mystery on cost and effectiveness, yeah, good stuff. Um, we're going to have the HR question of the day, and then I'm going to share with you how you can get best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Now, folks, before we go on, the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, you may contact me, and I may be able to refer one to you through the Affiliates Program and our friends over at Jackson Lewis. All right. Fun stuff. Employment poster updates, the one thing that you just cannot wait to get to. Um, I don't really think that we've had any changes uh, from the last episode, but if this is your first episode, we're going to get you caught up. So if you are in the following states, you guys have poster updates. Alaska, California, Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Montana, New Mexico, New York, Washington State, Missouri, Arizona, Florida, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Ohio, Oregon, South Dakota, and Vermont. You guys all have poster updates. Again, Alaska, California, Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Montana, New Mexico, New York, Washington, Missouri, Arizona, Florida, Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Ohio, Oregon, South Dakota, Vermont, you guys have poster updates. No way I could have done that in one breath. <laughs> now, on top of that, there are some municipalities and supplements that have taken place for certain areas. You guys also have updates, too. So if you're in Belmont, California, Cupertino, Daly City, El Cerrito, Los Altos, Mountain View, Nevado, Oakland, Palo Alto, Petaluma, Redwood, Richmond, San Diego, San Francisco, San Jose, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Sonoma, and Sunnyvale, California. You guys all have supplement updates. Over in Minnesota, if you're in St. Paul, you guys have a supplemental update. And in Washington, over in the SeaTac and Seattle areas, you guys have poster updates as well. All right, so that is that. We are going to take a quick break, and we're going to get right to our guest very little commentary for me on this one because he just has so much good stuff. Talk to you in a minute. 
here today. I got an awesome guest. Um, his name is Steve Watson. He is from a company called Trend Breakers, and he is also a CFO who has done a lot of work with, um, he's just like a genius and a mastermind when it comes to the financial analysis and aspect of looking at insurance benefit plans because, you know, we all love to do that. And, um, and really how a company can invest in the time and the effort and different angles to really save on their on their costs. So welcome. How are you? I, I'm super excited to be here. Super impressed with what you've been doing with your podcast and your community and glad to be able to, to help out. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to have you here. This is, you know, typically the start of a new benefits year for a lot of people. So timing is appropriate. Um, you know, we've had a broker on the show just to kind of give some best tips and practices. So this is this is exciting to take it one level deeper, and we're already talking about bringing you back in for uh, another uh, another show, but we'll get into that another time. Okay. So um, yeah, so we haven't scared you off yet. Then like the first <laughs> what a minute and a half. Yeah. So we're doing good so far. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. So can you tell us a little bit about you? So, so my background is I am a CFO of the company in Arizona. We have about 500 employees. And about a year into my tenure, the HR director quit. And they said, you know, HR finance, that's you know about the same thing. So they gave me the HR department. I'm like, I don't know in what world that's the same thing. But here, here I was. Um, I'm a person that once you give me an area, I like to learn as much as I, I, I can. And so I started attending all the SHRM conferences. I went and got licensed. I'm a SHRM SCP. Um, also on my CPA, and I, I've been dealing in those two worlds for the last 10 years, and it was supposed to be on an interim basis, but, you know, again, 10 years later, I'm still kind of overseeing both worlds. Right. And what I saw over those 10 years is there's so much similarities between finance and HR. We just end up tackling things using different tools. So if there's a problem in the company, finance people usually tackle it through spreadsheets and analytical um, tools and people in HR usually tackle it through relationships and through communication and culture, but we're all trying to tackle the same tool, the same issue. And where those cross the most, I see is in benefits. And so I started diving more into benefits. And again, about eight years ago, I had one year where I had a 30% increase in my benefits, and I was just shocked. Mm. I was just shocked that you could take, I mean, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars for the employer, it was hundreds of dollars per each employee for that year. And I just remember that it had to be a better way. I mean, I knew how to negotiate the price of rent. I knew how to negotiate the price of cars, of salaries and stuff. But this world of benefits, how could I have something just out of the blue come and give me that big of an increase? And so it just sparked me on this journey to learn as much as I as I could. Um, eventually ended up forming trend breakers, um, kind of using the things that I had learned along the way, the things I was able to implement. We were able to save over $500,000 per year by implementing different things. And now I'm trying to help a thousand employers do the same thing. So that's where trend breakers came to pass. Of like it's this community of employers helping each other. So I don't sell insurance. I don't, I'm not a broker. I am just an employer like you guys, just trying to do the best and share what I have with other people. You're just the man behind the curtain when it comes to numbers. Yeah, I just, I love it. I, I, I can sit in spreadsheets all the day. You know, I, I, I know you do. I decorate our house. My wife always jokes about it. I decorate my house in Excel. I do everything in Excel. And yeah, so. I know. It's all right. It's it's your gig. I love it. It's great. I know. It, you know, it's funny because there, I have my things where I get on my on my tangent. People are like, you are really passionate about this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I need to shut up now, don't I? Like, well, my yeah. company, people come to me and say, okay, we want your HR hat. We don't want the finance hat. We want the HR hat. Or, <laughs> Or, or vice versa. Or I need your your crabby CFO hat because I'm going to talk to this vendor, so I need that hat right now. Um, but it, well, it, you it, know, it's interesting. You you use so this this is really great. So let me ask you this question. So so you wear three hats. You you've got an HR hat. You've got a, you know the CFO hat, and then you've got you know the the benefits hat. Right. Do you find? I mean, they are three different very different. genres. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's like learning how to, you, you know, you have English as your primary language and learning how to speak Japanese and Spanish at the same time. It's just there, there's three different languages in and of itself. I mean, how do you navigate that? Well, what I, what I find is there, there's benefit of going very deep in one area, but there's also benefit <coughs> crossing areas and helping connect people. And so if you think about benefits, nobody really wants a plan just built by finance people, right? It's just going to be this crappy right. plan that's very cheap and nobody really wants. 
But let's be honest, nobody really wants a plan just built by HR because it'll have every bell and whistle in there to recruit and retain employees and it'll have it'll be super expensive. And so we really those two areas have to come together, right, to be able to manage the cost, the risk of the company, be able to recruit and retain employees. And so I find a lot of value bridging those two gaps. And so I get I get asked to go to HR conferences and speak about finance. I get asked in finance how to understand HR. I go to brokers ask me to come speak at their conferences to understand how employers work. And so I love to just kind of stay in that world of connecting people and finding the value between them because where I find how you can lower benefits is getting those three people, you know, the broker, the CFO, and the HR professional all in the same room. If you get them all aligned, you can do powerful things. But if one or two of those people aren't aligned, it's going to be really hard to move the needle. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. I mean, it's, you know, when it comes to, you know, looking at your benefits. So when you're sitting at the table with your broker and you get your, uh, you know, you get your renewal numbers and and it's complicated sometimes. I mean, it really, really is, especially if you don't really fully understand the financial impact behind it. I mean, everybody knows what happens. We all sit down and we get an increase. That's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. And, you know, so long as you're, you know, ready for it, that's great. But there's a lot of things that you can do to actually make changes to just in the plan design alone to go ahead and make those changes happen. But um, so, so yeah, so there's a lot of creativity in this. And, and I would absolutely agree with you. And I agree with you with what you say that, you know, what if people who, and I can say this because I've seen it, that people who are in the HR industry, they, we do get excited about, the functionality of things and you know we want the we want the best program possible for employees because after all that's what we're in the human business right? right that's what we do but what's not always seen by people who are shopping or, or talking about it is the real underlying financial impact to that because as well as you well know you know when you look at a PL statement i mean payroll and benefits are usually the top two lines <laughs> yeah. and and they sometimes they interchange but those are typically the top two expenses on any report so um, yeah, so I, there's a I, lot to it and i will say that i almost get more excited about it as well because out of all the areas you think in your company how much we've kind of ratcheted down like the the rent costs or the mm -hmm. the inventory costs and there's all these cost saving things like lean manufacturing stuff to like lower costs but benefits is like this untapped world that nobody's ever really got into. And so there are so many ways to lower costs inside of benefits that people just haven't really realized. And so I almost think the HR is sitting on this gold mine of, of opportunities to help their employer by like diving into that, that area. And because it's so large, if you're able to save five or 10%, that turns into hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially for your employer, depending on how big you are. And not only are you helping your employer, you're helping all your employees because they're all happy because they're saving money and they're more engaged in their company. Yeah, now I hear you. That's awesome. So what what we wanted to talk about today specifically is as companies grow, there is a lot of things that happen. So if, if you're if you don't have a great amount of strength in really digging in deep and doing the analytical work on understanding your, your benefits and your renewals and things like that. But there are massive changes that take place and massive things that companies can do to take down the cost between small group when they move from small group plan to a medium group plan and even up into a large group plan. And this is just the natural thing that happens as companies grow. Right. So with, with a small group plan, that's usually ringing the bell, kind of depending upon where you are and what plans you're looking at, usually you tend to cross that threshold around the 60 person, 70 person-ish. There's really, really no established benchmark per se. Yeah, definitely under 50 and then kind of yeah. a little bit cushion over 50, right? Right, exactly. So that's pretty much when you graduate into a medium group plan and then uh, from medium group into large group, then you're you know kind of hitting the bell at about a thousand or so, roughly. So, so some of the distinct changes that happen between the probably the biggest distinct changes that will happen between a small group and a media group transition is that you go from an age banded plan, which is over on the small group side, into everybody pays the same amount, yep. <laughs> regardless into into a medium plan. And ultimately, what happens is that your younger workforce is going to see this the sharpest increase to that and then your older workforce is going to see the sharpest decrease yes 
Yes, and and I would I would add to that like when you're really small, the term that they use in the world insurance world is you're credible. Like, are you credible? Are they going to look at your demographics and your claims and stuff to kind of underwrite how much premium you should have to pay? And so if you're really small and you have one person have cancer, there's no way you're going to be able to afford any of that stuff. Right. And so right. there's a lot of benefit in being on kind of these generic plans where it's not really your claims. You're just kind of this big pool with everybody, everybody else, and you pay by, based off of age or different things. But what it's important for you to understand if you're in that, that employee count from, let's say, under 50, there's not a lot that your insurance broker can do to, like, adjust rates. They're, they mm-hmm. can't really, like, go and negotiate and do things. I mean, there's little things that they can do, but... They're more trying to take the off-the-shelf products from Blue Cross and Blue Shield or United or whatever, and so they can help you find a different copay amount or different deductible amount. But the rates are the rates. It's just, yep. and and there's there's benefits to it and there's there's cons to it. And so when they come out and say that you're getting a, a 10% increase, it's not so much because you as a company did something had high claims or low claims. It's because that pool did it, or you just have a different demographic. And so you just moved from a very young workforce to very old, like an older workforce or vice versa that would change your rates. So what, so when somebody moves from a small group to a medium group, what are some of the things that a company can look out for or possibly have discussions with their broker in order to help reduce some of the pain or the, or the cost? Maybe in adjusting, I mean, I get the rates are the rates, but what are some best practices that they can put into place as um, like regular talking points as they progress? From, or, a small, from a small group plan or? Yeah, out of the small group and into a medium group. Yeah, what, what happens when you start getting into medium group size is you really want to start looking at your claims. And so mm-hmm. are, you, are you above average in claims in that pool that you've been into or are you below average? And then you can start deciding, like, is it better to stay on kind of this, this pooled rate plans? Or for a lot of companies, they can start looking at kind of building their own plan. And the easiest way I explain kind of building your own plan is a lot of us in HR understand how HSA plans work. You know, that you're able to kind of take on your own deductible, you pay up to that amount, but then there's a, a risk, you know, it caps your risk at a certain, certain level, right? Mm-hmm. And so HSA plans, if you do the math, do really well when you're super healthy because you get to keep the money. It's a lower premium. You get to keep it. And they actually do usually pretty, usually do better even on, you know, extremely high claims because the out-of-pocket maximums are lower usually than like a PPO plan. So most, and I, I use that as an example because a lot of us can kind of understand an HSA plan. But then what I'm suggesting or what I suggest people do is look at that at an employer level. And so how do you build a plan where on the good years you get to keep the savings and on the bad years you have a capped capped risk there and so there the next step that most most companies take is moving into a level funded plan mm-hmm. and so a level funded plan is a plan that looks and acts just like your normal plan but you're able to uh, keep the gains during a good year and so the the insurance company actually reimburse you at the end of the year for you know if you're below a different different threshold and so it's a stepping stone in there there's some there's some cons to it. Like a lot of times you have to stay with that company. So sometimes it's a hook to keep you to stay there. Um, but you end up getting all your claims information because you know what they are. So it's really good mm-hmm. to start seeing that information. You can benefit from getting those those good years. You can get it, but you're on bad years. You're not worried about getting like a higher, you know, more than what you signed up for. So that's the first step. So as you get as you start building it, that's what I would suggest to companies. And if your broker's not bringing you level funded options, that's something I would definitely ask your broker saying, look, I see all these standard Blue Cross, United Healthcare, Kaiser plans. Where are these level funded options I want to look at? So I want to take a, a quick step back, just actually two real quick points. So first off, if those of you who are solely operating a small group plan and we're talking about how you look at your claims, when you're in small group, you don't have access to that. But when you go into the medium group, then you get claim information or you should be getting claim information to analyze on a regular basis from your broker and from the act from the carrier itself. But if you can take a further step back and help people understand, especially those who I mean, a lot of the folks that listen to the show are individuals who are looking for information because they simply just don't know. Help them understand the pooled concept and building your own plan. You lightly touched on that. So the difference is like a pooled and build your own plan is what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So help people understand. So, uh, so I would pool- say a little bit more eloquently than I can right now. Yeah, again, a pool, <laughs> a pooled plan is, is 
it's kind of what we're all used to, right? Just a general plan, a general insurance plan where you, you agree at the beginning of the year. People call them fully insured plans. I, I call them prepaid plans because you basically agree on a certain rate for the whole year and you kind of prepay that amount, whether you have good high claims or low claims or whatever the claims are. And then you just readjust that amount every year based off of kind of the forecast into the new year. So that's that's the pooled claims. That's how most small group plans work. And as people grow, sometimes they stay on those type of plans. When you start moving into what people will call, I call them pay-as-you-go plans. I think it kind of intellectually makes more sense. People call them self-funded plans, um, unbundled plans, level-funded plans. There are all these these type of plans where you start paying the claims your, yourself up to a certain level. And so again, I kind of use the example of an HSA plan. So you start paying the claims for your employees. Now, it's not you cutting the bill directly to Dr. John Smith. It's it's run through the insurance company. So for example, yeah. Blue Cross and Blue Shield would administer those claims for you and they would just send you a bill at the end of the month. And instead of that bill being exactly the same every month, it would go up and down based off of your claims history. And so you could have a month at zero, you could have a month at 100,000 or however big your company is. And it would cap out at a certain amount wherever you buy an insurance policy called a stop loss policy to kind of limit that risk. Right, thank you. So when we, so, We'll go back to talking about the claims analysis piece of this. So when you get, when you're in that next level, that medium and large, when you look at your claims analysis, what you won't find is you won't find the individual's name associated with the claim. You'll actually see what the particular claim is. So it could be like a cardiac thing. It could be a psychological thing. It could be rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, it could be a lot of different things, right? Right. Um, then you will also see the so those are the members and then you'll see the dependents um you'll see an analysis of theirs as well so you know i've seen i've seen data when i've reviewed you know this type of information with people i've seen things on uh, you know schizophrenia all the way to uh ingesting uh in, in i want to say this right because i knew exactly what it was when i saw it it was ingesting a, a toxic substance, which told me that it was probably a Tide Pod case. Somebody uh. ate a Tide Pod, and that's how it was classified. I know, uh. right? So um, I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out that little trend, but that's okay. <laughs> so what it does is it jacks your health insurance costs up, plus it scares the pants off of everybody and makes everyone real sick. So don't do that. That's bad. But um, so when you're looking at the when you're looking at the analysis, um, you're actually getting this information. It also includes your claims. What are your high claims on like your pharmacy? On your you can you get them. For, you should be getting them for also for your vision and dental if those are you know synced together under the same carrier. So there's a lot of really great information. Really, really good data and and yeah. stuff that let's. And you have to be honest, like carriers a lot of times don't want to release this data to you. I mean, if you if you have super high claims, yeah, they're going to be sending it to you. Look at how much money we're losing to you. You're going to see all this stuff. But if you're like most of us, that usually your claims aren't that bad, a lot of times you really have to ask for it. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. you're going to have to push your broker to get to it. If you're over between 50 to 100, depending on your state and different areas, it's kind of a gray area whether or not you can get it. If you're 100 plus, you should be getting that claims information regularly. You know, I wouldn't say monthly, if not quarterly. And yes, you're not going to see their, their, I mean, there's debates. There's people fight over whether or not you should see their names or not see their names. I personally don't want to see their names because it just creates a bunch of HR issues. I would agree. You don't want to you don't want to have to worry about it but what it will show you is start showing you kind of what is it that in your demographics that you need to worry about it are you having a lot of pregnancies is it pharmacy is it specialty is it facilities or different things and then you can start targeting the, those areas yeah so you know it's funny because when you've got a company where you you pretty much know who your employees are in this small and medium realm you've got that one employee that develops cancer or you get that one employee who has a heart attack i mean you're going to know who we know is. who they are yeah you're going to know you're going to know we say we don't know but we we know so because right. we're yeah. filling their leave requests and their fmla leave requests and we, we, <laughs> you we, kind we, of they're not around for a while and yeah, yeah now, I mean, now i will say there is some value to knowing in that when you go talk to the insurance company you can say look John Smith doesn't work here anymore. John Smith is is perfectly fine. He's back to work anymore. There's not this risk like moving forward with them that 
when you don't know that, you don't know if they're going to be this ongoing claim forever. And so, so I have, you know, used or kind of know situations where I'll go back to the <laughs> kind of help them understand the story. And so as they underwrite my plan, you can yeah. kind of use it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like this person, you know, like they moved over to Medicaid. They're no longer you recovered under the plan. Exactly. You know, they're Medicaid eligible and they moved over because it was more cost effective for them and their family. Now, and now that one, makes a big difference. Now one that really impacted us is we had a big workers' comp claim that their medical stuff started flowing through our, our health insurance side. And so we were seeing this large claim, like, what is this large claim for? And it's like we kind of knew that there was this workers' comp claim going on. And it wasn't until I mean, we told our broker to go investigate it and they went and dove into it. Well, that wasn't something that should be flowing through our medical insurance. It should be yeah. through our workers' comp. And so they were able yeah. to reclassify that over and then we were able to yeah. save a bunch of money on our stuff. So, so there is value in looking at those claims, help yeah. regulate those, those claims. Um, and one thing that I, after looking at this data for many, many years, a lot of us think that our claims are high because people are going, instead of going to urgent care, they're going to the ER, they're doing like kind of these smaller things that we talk a lot about. The reality is, is what drives our claims is the one claim. It's that one big one that happens. And so the the reason I had a 30% rate increase that one year, 10 years ago was I had one employee that had a million dollar claim. Now I took, I couldn't go to my employees and say, oh, we're all getting a rates increase because Johnny had a tummy problem ended up in the <laughs> ICU. You know, we kind of talk about generalities and stuff. You um, would not have been wearing your HR hat that day if you did I know. that. So that I, would have been burning, that would have been thrown in the pyre. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I would never do that. But the thing that we have to understand is like when we go try and attack our insurance costs and try and lower them, we can't it's not going to be as beneficial as just trying to get people not to go to the ER. Like we need to go after those large claims. Like how are we going to manage that large claim and do it, do it in a different way? And how can we, and that's where you'll end up saving a lot of your money on setting up these different types of plans and finding ways to lower that cost. And so I had a, I had a pharmacy one come through where it was a multi-million dollar pharmacy claim ongoing. You know, I could just leave it there and not realize, you know, just kind of let my claims, my premiums go up or we could attack that one problem individually and figure out how we're going to find this, this drug that the employees dependent really needs, but at a much lower cost. And we did that and we're able to save a bunch of money for our employees. That's very cool. And, you know, this, the larger you get, I mean, this could be literally a full-time job. I mean, and it is a full-time job for bigger companies, but. It should be, and it's not. It, it really isn't. Right? And when yeah. we talk bigger companies, so again, I have I have 400 employees on my plan. My plan is three to four million dollars. And so if, if I was going to go to my company and say if we were going to increase our and that's that's what that's an expense side. You know, right. if, if I was able to create three million dollars worth of revenue, like the CEO would be like, yeah, let's hire a sales rep. Let's have a pro, you know, manager over that thing. Like it's almost a three million dollar own insurance company that I'm kind of running inside of here. But yet we don't really have anybody that manages it, right? We some companies yeah. would give it all to HR. Sometimes it's finance. Sometimes it's just kind of bouncing forth between them, um, and it's just yeah. nobody really manages. It. I mean, let's be honest. In most companies, we we manage the enrollment side, the eligibility side, the different things. But the actual cost, like how do we lower the cost or look at these claims, most of us don't do that. And yeah, we all have brokers, and I could we could have a whole other podcast on just broker relationships and different things because what ends up happening is we say that we have a broker come in here. I'll just kind of touch on this a little bit. It's like we, we have a broker come in where they say that they work for us, but do, do they really, I mean, we don't have a contract usually with them. We don't set their rates with them. They're usually from the insurance company. That's where their contracts and their rates are. And for most of them, when we take a 30% increase, guess who's getting a 30% raise? And that is so frustrating to me that the people that we trust are getting incentive. I'm not saying bad people, good people, anything, but like, why am I paying the person that's supposed to be helping me more money when I am taking a big hit or vice versa? Like at least get us on the same side. You know, they win when I win, they lose when I lose. And it just creates all these other incentives. And I, 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 I could go off for a long time. I know, that's like a whole other show right now. It, it really is. And it's really <laughs> something that we don't talk that much about because they get paid commissions and bonuses and overrides and revenue sharing and all this stuff that influences the plans that you're getting presented that we don't realize until you dive into that. But yeah, 
I'll I'll stop geeking out on that. And in all fairness, you know, I mean, you can't avoid working with a broker because that's the name of the game. And not all brokers are in for themselves. But, you know, there's a lot of brokers out there that, and I've seen them and I've worked with them with some of my clients that take kind of like a laissez-faire approach to helping you manage your benefits, especially when you're small. Because, one, that's not their field of specialty is to help really help you figure that out although there should be there's a a lot of people that just don't invest that kind of they don't go as deep to say how can i help my clients so that i can continue to build that long-term relationship i mean they're sales (laughs) let's face it yeah i mean just just the other fact of like again if you just compare to like let's just say we're outsourcing this plan to our broker like that's kind of what we're doing right we're outsourcing part of this work to them and let's say you had a, a a you know, a, a manufacturing foreman or even like a sales rep, let's say that the number is getting worse every year. So every year sales are going down 10%. Next year it's 5%. Next year it's 6%. It right. goes down. Like how long are they going to be around? Or a, a project manager who's their costs are going up every year. But there's just no accountability in this world about our costs for insurance. And and I'm not just pointing it towards them. Like me as the CFO, like nobody's going to like, when when do I get fired because I'm not controlling this, this cost? Or when does somebody right. in HR, when does a... The broker, and so the three of us really have to come together and be held a little bit accountable to this area that we're just letting it kind of every year just do whatever by the wind, how the wind blows. And there's a lot of that out there. I mean, I've even discovered it myself. Way too much. Yeah, and I've, I mean, I've terminated, I've terminated a few brokers in the past because of you know their lack, their lack of engagement, or one was even predatory against the company and figured out that the company didn't know any better and you know wound up literally doubling their coverage over 10 years where it was a raging shock when that quote came through and it was 50 percent less than what it than what they've been paying no i don't want to like i mean brokers really don't like me because i get into this world and i start explaining (laughs) all their stuff and it but i just want to like give my my kind of caveat like i I am against the way the system is set up. Like it is set up for insurance companies to win. It's like the house always wins from Vegas, whether there's good claims or bad claims. They print their and, own money. <laughs> yeah, and the employers always lose. And I just the system. So I, I again, I'm not calling out any individual yeah. broker. They're doing the best that they can and doing stuff. I'm just the way that it is set up is wrong. And I really kind of help employers kind of set up a better system where they're aligned together with their broker that they're working. It could be the exact same broker they're working with, but just change that structure. Yeah. You know, you set the contract, you do things, you get them on your side of the table, you go attack this, you set some accountability with it. And it's amazing what things can happen after you do it. Now, again, a lot of this, again, when we're talking about small group versus mid and large, these are once you start getting over hundred employees. Right. If you're small, you can't change the broker compensation. Like it's just no. set, like you can't do that much about it. So. Mm-hmm. You know, find the ones that can give you the best service and find the best plans. But once you get over 75, 100, I don't, I personally don't think any broker should be getting commissions at that level, that they should be coming to you. You should be signing a contract with them and having a fee-based thing. Just like all the stockbrokers all got changed from fee-based in, or from commission-based into fee-based. I think we need to do a better job as employers of bringing them on our side of the table. Yeah. So I think it's important to reiterate that you know, you need the relationship with your broker. Yes. You know, this is this is all part of the game of doing business. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with going in with a buyer beware attitude. And I think that's really the underlying message here is that there are things that you can do and can control. So what are some of the things to be mindful of if you're in a company that has a medium-sized group going into large group? What would you say are some of the best practices as you transition up into a much, uh, into a, well, into a large group plan? Yeah, and so I the four things I work with trend breakers are, and we'll just kind of get to the fourth one. That's where I'm going. But the first one is just education. Second one's working with the, <laughs> brokers, the brokers. Third one's getting that we've kind of talked about the steps of the plan between level funded and stuff. So hopefully, if you're a large group, you've already done that, right? You've already right. have like a kind of a pay as you go plan or self funded plan. The last one is where everybody can be working on is that's when you start dialing into different areas. And so direct primary care is one of the biggest things that's going on right now is like, how do you, again, misaligned incentives, they get paid per unit. And so there's this volume based kind of stuff. And we've all been to the doctor, we all spend hundreds of dollars there and they spend six minutes with us and then they move on. So 
a lot of employers, what they're doing is they're trying to bring those doctors onto their side. So they're paying them directly, not through the insurance company. They're trying to take away those incentives where the insurance, I mean, a lot of insurance companies are buying up doctor's practices because they become the funnel into their system because that's where they're referred to and stuff. And so we want the doctors on our side. So they'll direct contract with doctors. So that's one thing that I see a lot of large group uh, employers doing. The second one is pharmacy. So there's so much money to save in pharmacy. And it's one of the highest areas, one of the highest growing areas. I think when I started this 10 years ago, pharmacy was like 5% of overall spending. I think it's up to like 20% of our overall costs. And so wow. it's the fastest growing area in our claims is pharmacy and a lot of these specialty drugs. So there are many tools nowadays that even at a small group plan, you should be educating your employers on. So one is called GoodRx. I don't know if you've used GoodRx in the past. Yep. Oh, yeah. My, I tell you what, so my clients who are well tuned in on GoodRx, those employees love GoodRx. Yeah, I've saved hundreds well, of dollars this past past year. But the mm -hmm. mentality around GoodRx, which is amazing, is like, I, again, I had allergies. I needed to get allergy drops two months ago. So I show up at CVS. They tell, and so for people who don't know what GoodRx, the, the pharmacist looked at me and said, oh, this is going to be kind of expensive. I'm like, that's not a good sign. And he said, well, the retail <laughs> price is $235 and the insurance, your Blue Cross plan is $231. I'm like, well, good job, Blue Cross. You were able to save me $4 on this, this allergy drops. And then I was like, I was really debating. I'm like, well, my eyes are red, but not that red. I, you know, $231 I can use somewhere else. And so I'm getting ready to like walk out of there. And I'm like, well, let me just look it up on GoodRx just to see. So I pull up this app. Again, it's a free app. You don't put any personal information. It just looks up all the cash and coupon codes. At that same exact pharmacy, at the exam, for the exam, same prescription, it was 75 bucks. It was $150, $150 cheaper. And then GoodRx would show you within a 10-mile radius. So if I drove three miles to the local grocery store, it was 20 bucks. Wow. So I've gone from $230 of a prescription I wasn't going to get to 20 bucks that I went and got, got the, the treatment that my eyes needed. But the mentality is, is like a lot of us think that one, that all... Uh, prescriptions cost the same thing. Like we just don't realize that there's a variety of them. And then the second thing is that our insurance company actually has the best rates and it's not true. Mm -hmm. They were 10 times more expensive. Again, Blue Cross is national big thing was 10 times more expensive than using GoodRx. And there's a new one that I actually based here in Arizona called Drexy that what they do is basically it's like a Costco mentality, Costco model where you pay the membership thing and then you get everything else at cost. And so you go into Drexy I think it's 12 bucks a month for a family. All of the, I mean, it's like cheaper than GoodRx too. And I'm like, there's all this, uh, anyway, I, again. <laughs> and I'm sorry, because I, 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 I like passion comes up. I'm like, where in the world did that $200 go? You know, if it, if it only costs 20 bucks, but whatever, I, I'll stop. No, <laughs> so, don't stop. That's why you're on a podcast show. Yeah, so, so what? What Did do you at employers... least take your wife out to dinner afterwards and you save $210? <laughs> so what, what employers really, yes, I, I, I need to do that. Good I man. <laughs> you better. Um, what employers need to realize is that that's one scenario for one employee during the whole year. Now take that and maximize it across 1,000 employees over you know 1,000 different transactions. There is so much money there to save. You just have to do it in a different way. And so... All of us are sitting there negotiating these plans. You have to realize, and it can make you really mad, like I'm kind of frustrated now, or really excited. There's so many ways to save to save money. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one more example about uh, pharmacy. It's just happening to me right now. So, two years ago, the insurance company asked me, said, "Can we keep the rebates if we get as an insurance company? If we get to keep the rebates, then we'll give you an admin credit. We'll we'll make your premium cheaper." And it was like twenty four thousand dollars. I'm like, well, what's the rebate's gonna be? It's like, well, I don't know. It's like whatever it's gonna gonna be. And so I had to make a choice. Is it better to take the discount that I know about for twenty four thousand, or roll the dice and get the get the rebates? And so I decided to roll the dice. I went all of twenty eighteen. They wouldn't tell me how much the rebates were. Got all the way through twenty nineteen. I'm at the end of twenty nineteen. I'm like, where are my rebates? So they finally came to me and said, okay, we've processed them. The amount was hundred and six thousand dollars. It was four times more the oh amount of the app was the amount of the rebates. And I was just like, they had to know that. And the fact that they would just offer me like this small amount, and they came around the next year and said, okay, well, instead of like that way, now we'll give you $25 per employee, so a $100,000 credit. I'm like, screw you. I'm not, like, you give me the rebate. But 
What's fascinating to me is the overall amount. So I, our, I just asked my broker today. I'm like, well, how much for that year was our overall pharmacy? And it was like $560,000. So 20% of that total pharmacy spend for that year was just caught up in rebates. Wow. Like there is so much money flowing back and forth between carriers and pharmaceutical companies and stuff that we just end up putting a bill for. Yeah, so, it leaves money on the table. And that's our money, right? We're the ones right, signing exactly. checks and doing it. And the, and the sad part is, is, is most employees end up, they don't care because they don't have to because they have a copay that's 10 bucks or whatever. They don't have to worry about it. And so whether it's $7,000 or $70, like I pay my 10 bucks and I, I don't care. And it just flows to us and it just gets put in this black box of a premium. And then we just take a 10% next ten percent increase next year and we just sign the check and move on. Or we, we lower it down to 5% and think we did a good job and move on. Um, it's, yeah, so there are many ways. That's, that's where I would go. If I'm in large group, I would, I would start working on pharmacy as my major topic. I'd work on, I'd start looking at direct contracting with major healthcare systems or doctor's offices and I'd start there with those two. Awesome. You know, when you shut me up on my own show, that means that you got good stuff and I don't want to interrupt it. <laughs> we did, I did a show a while ago um, with a, a gentleman whose name is Eli St. Julian. He's an awesome guy and he does, um, his company is called Outsolve and they do, um, they do a, affirmative action planning. They do the EEO1, Vets4212, all that good stuff. But, you know, high, high focus concentration on government contracting. And it was funny because at the end of the show, he says, I've never heard you not talk. And I'm like, because it was good information. He says, and you, you talk nonstop. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so I think you're the second one that's done it. So congratulations. Well, the problem is like getting me to shut up because I get go, I get going <laughs> no, on the freight train. <laughs> you're not going to get me to stop. So. That's why you're here. I want you to be a freight train on okay. the show. It's good information. That's why people are listening. I've recently learned that business is not the place to be humble. That's, <laughs> so. that's very true. Definitely another place to be quiet. Well, that's awesome. So, so if people want to find you, this is fantastic information. I really do appreciate you coming in. I really thank you. You reached out, and I the second I saw your stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is somebody I absolutely want to have on the show, and I'd love to have you come back. Yes. Um, yes, please. Where can they find you? So you're with Trendbreaker. So yeah, so so again, I I'm the CFO. That's my day job. Um, but my this community that I've created is called Trendbreakers, and so you can find the site is called Trendbreakers.com. You can just go on there and find that community. But what I've really done is I've created different groups. So I have a Facebook group that you can look up under Trendbreakers, and then there's a LinkedIn group as well called Trendbreakers. And it's only for employers. And so I don't allow brokers or vendor people into that group. It's just for us to kind of chat and talk and tell stories. And and the idea is to try and share success stories and then replicate those stories across various employers. And so I, I came up with that because I was giving giving a, a speech and I asked how many people took an increase this past year and 98% of them raised their hands. And I said, well, how many took a decrease and only 2% raised their hand? I'm like, if we did nothing more than talk to any vendors, any experts, like just talk to those people and get them to share their stories, we learn so much more. And so that's Trendbreakers. So I would love everybody to hop on, join the group, learn as much as you can, share your stories. And yeah. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really okay. do appreciate it. And, and I really look forward to having you on future episodes. Looking forward to it. Very good. Thank you. Today, I'd like to give a shout out to Rob. Dude, thank you so much for reaching out to me. Um, thank, congratulations on starting on your new job. I think that's awesome. You're absolutely going to crush it, my friend. I think it's great. All right, so the HR question of the day. You guys can submit your questions on the bestpractices.work website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu. And down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form where you can post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. So today's question is, is it legal in the United States to terminate an employee immediately after they've been injured on the job? So <laughs> that's kind of a double-edged sword answer that I'm about ready to give you is yes and no. <laughs> Sorry, but it is. So if you have an employee that has been injured due to what is defined as an unsafe act, in other words, it is a knowing, deliberate, unsafe act in the workplace. 
Yes. There's a caveat, which is a but, and that is you want to make sure that you work through your employment attorney to create the appropriate legal strategy to making that happen. Because if you don't, it's a raging mess and it's very complicated and it's very risky. And the reason why it's risky is that you guys will be absolutely 100% up against something called retaliation. And unless you have a bona fide uh, case and a solid position to where you can prove that the employee engaged in an unsafe act, then yes, you could consider separating from that employee. First off, you're going to own the injury for the rest of the person's life, okay? Especially if it it's processed through the workers' comp claim process, and that's very important that you guys do that. Let the process do what it's supposed to do, okay? But as far as separation goes, yes, you can. Now, if it is just an opinion that this person has done something and they got hurt because they were just negligent, that's a no, okay? Negligent isn't necessarily the same thing as a, a bona fide unsafe work act, okay? So there are some real serious caveats to this. And I, to me personally, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even go down this road alone myself without uh, conferring with an employment attorney to make sure that we actually have the appropriate uh, documentation. We've got the facts in place. We know what happened. We can really back ourselves up. I, even I wouldn't go down this by myself. So anyway, so that's, that's, a, that's a tricky one. That's a real tricky one. But I'm glad the question came up because this is exactly the kind of thing that we can actually talk about more in depth in our new community. So something that I'm extremely aware of is how awesome and exciting this field is. It is a passion of mine. I enjoy being in the seat, helping people out. I really love doing this podcast and I really love the engagement that I'm experiencing with other HR professionals as we're venturing down this. So it's really awesome. Okay. It's a very rewarding career that really is full of never ending challenges and it's extremely meaningful work, which is the reason why I was so attracted to the industry from the very beginning. But I'm also aware of its challenges and I'm extremely aware of its limitations. One of them being what it feels like being an army of one an HR army of one. Uh, I know what it feels like to do this job as a beginner to an expert. I know what it's like to try and find the right answer in this massive sea of information. And when you do find what you think is the answer, you're really not 100% sure if you have all the facts or if you really feel confident to move forward executing a decision because you, you feel like you're missing something. I totally get that. It can be a very isolating field to work in because there's only so many people that you can talk to. You can't talk to your subordinates and vent your frustration out because they're your subordinates. Your, your partners may not fully understand your position and your leadership really rely on you to be strong. So you, you kind of feel boxed in. I mean, you really are like you are. That's you. <laughs> that's it. That's all there is to it. Okay. So at the beginning of this year, I launched this really awesome new line, online community for those of you in the HR field. And this community is open to those who are established HR champions all the way to those who are aspiring to become one. And I was traveling several months ago and was inspired to create and contribute to Women in Human Resources. I'm on a mission to connect with 20,000 women in HR to positively impact the lives of 1 million employees. The Next Gen Women in HR member site is a great place where women can come and connect share resources, and go deep to learn the how to perform the HR function with the appropriate tools and current resources. Most importantly, this is the place to get support. Now, 2020 is the time to really get clearly focused on you and what you want for your future in this industry because this is a decade that's going to continuously present all sorts of new challenges, kind of like the ones that I've been talking about on the show. Now, launch your year with me, and you can get the support and connection you need for your future as an HR champion. And there's two places to connect. You can start with the Next Gen Women in HR member site, where you can invest in yourself, get deeper, go deeper, and get access to tools, resources. You can ask for help, find a mentor, participate in networking events, and connect one-on-one -on -one with other HR champions. 
As my friend and past guest Lauren Clement says, you deserve to be well-known, well-paid, and wanted. So that means if you join the Next Gen Women in HR member site at bestpractices.work in this industry, you should be known for your talent, paid for your skills, and wanted for your abilities. Now, you can also join us over at the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group, and that's a really good place to start as well. And that's where we get together on a regular basis. There's a lot of inspirational information coming out, not to mention I'm going to give you information on how you can promote yourself as a professional in the HR field. So if you're running between meetings, driving, you can chase the dog to get back in the house, or you're on your commute to and from work and you don't have the ability to write all this down, don't worry about it. Shoot me a message on any one of my social sites and I will be more than happy to direct you, or you can click the connect link at the top of the bestpractices.org website, and I will get you the information that you need. Now, the HR industry is a very feminine different, different industry, and yes, we like our HR guys too, so come on in, because we have men who are in the Facebook group, and it's really exciting. So this week, I kicked off the third major topic of conversation via Facebook Live, and we looked at the networking uh, opportunities and started the conversation of how you can get ahead and source new opportunities by building your network. Now, I invite all of you to join and become part of the conversation and find your focus in 2020. Get inspired, okay? Because inspiration creates motivation, which demands actions to be realized. And you'll see me in there each and every single day, and I cannot wait to connect with you all. Get that experience. Take it deeper. Invest in yourself. Join the Next Gen Women in HR member site at bestpractices.org. Like I said, this is where you get to invest in yourself and really learn of the what and how of doing HR by going into the experience with a dedicated community to learn, grow, develop, connect with others who want to learn or want to mentor or be mentored and have access to tools, have access to me to help you perform this role. And I also mentioned earlier in this episode that you can read the HR news announcements that I share on this podcast show. It happens right in there. I also post the ones that I don't show as well. So this is roughly about 30 to 40, uh, 30 to 40 articles that I post every single week, plus more information every day. Now, the links in these articles are part of what the Next Gen Women in HR site on the bestpractices.org website is all about. You can get this monthly access to the site for less than three cups of coffee a week. And this information is updated weekly. It's what helps me stay current in my profession as an HR pro. It will absolutely help you do the same. And not to mention, I'm doing all the footwork for you guys. <laughs> so I look forward to connecting with you and I cannot wait to have you as part of this tribe and have this part of this community. Now you guys can follow me in a couple of different spots. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. I've got a new Instagram handle as well, Brenda the HR Lady. You can find me over there. Over in LinkedIn, you can connect with me just by typing in my name. That's Brenda Neckbottle, and my last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. And again, you can find me over at the website over on bestpractices.org. Click connect at the top of the page and you can get my best practices delivered right to your inbox. And folks, I really super appreciate you guys joining today. This was yet another awesome episode. Um, apologize for the sound. We were having some weird issues during the interview, but you know what? Next week it'll be better. It'll be awesome. And I will give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, we've got Kate Payne, who is a marketing professional coming in, and she's going to actually talk to you about how you can utilize LinkedIn to promote yourself uh, as a employer, or as a employer, as a HR pro, as an HR champion, how you can actually use it to find your next opportunity. So uh, thank you again, guys, for joining in. I look forward to talking to you soon, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.